you have worn earplugs for the first uh, 30 minutes of this worship service, you are aware that we have had a political issue this week. And this morning we're going to talk about some of those things. Because as Christians in this world, God has given us direction as to how we ought to respond and how we ought to live our lives. And it's kind of a cheat that every four years we should talk about this. We should talk about it more than every four years, but especially every four years, we must remind ourselves of what Christ expects of you and He expects of me. And if you're there, I hope you're still there to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, this morning as we think about things, three things that we need to be reminded of as Christians in regards to government and political things, is that what we just read, and I want you to notice in verse 13, be subject or submit. We know that from children, obey your parents and the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands, 1 Peter 3, Ephesians 5, other places like that. We understand the concept of submission, don't we? Where someone gives you an order and you follow through with that order. You obey them. And that is what he says the emperor deserves. The emperor, the leader, the governor. And as he says there in verse 14, governors are those who are sent by the ruler. You obey them. You submit to them, and then down in verse 17, you honor everyone. You love the brotherhood, your brothers and sisters in Christ. You fear, you respect God, but here it is, you honor the emperor. You give that ruler the proper respect. Now I'm telling you, some of the things that I've seen in the last couple days of signs like these... Trump is not my president, would you say that gives honor? Or if you go back four years ago, of you can buy these packs of stickers, Barack Obama is not my president, I didn't vote for him. And you can go back to 2004, and the same thing was said then, that is not my president. And Jesus would say to us, That is your president. That is the one that you have to honor. You may not agree with them. You may not like them. And I imagine that is the case with some of us here because we are divided just as much as our nation is divided. And the truth is we all have to be united on this. Our ruler is the ruler that God has set. Now, that does not mean that God hand-selected our ruler this year and said, I want this one, like he would, say, of Nebuchadnezzar in the time of Babylon, or of Cyrus of the Persians, of the Medes and the Persians there, of where he calls them by name, because no prophet tells us about a specific president of the United States of America. But what it does tell us from Romans, the 13th chapter is that when government is in place, it is put in place by our God. 
God. Notice that in Romans 13, verse 9. Let every person be subject to the governing authority. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted, have been given, have been put in place by God. Now, verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. You see what happens when we get so stubborn in our views and we forget about our allegiance to Christ, what can happen to us? We can bring judgment on ourselves because we're so wrapped up in all these other things when He says they're there, they have God's authority to rule. But does that mean the ruler is going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Does that mean the rulers are going to always do what is, quote, best for me? No, they're not. But is that what our text is telling us to do? You obey your parents, you submit to your husbands as long as you like what they have to say. That's not submission at all. You know, when we use the phrase, in all due respect, it is never followed with, in all due respect, I agree with you completely. It's always followed with, all due respect, I disagree. And what he's saying here is, with all due respect to I'm going to give you something. Go to Acts 18 chapter. I want you to imagine that you are a Jew for a second. Maybe we have some Jews in the audience. I'm not aware of You're a Jew. And you're in the first century. And you're living in the city of Rome, which is very rich. It is a capitalistic city. Things are going really well for you. You have a lot of freedoms in that city. You can kind of do pretty much whatever you want. And you get this command in verse 2 that Paul, when he gets to Athens, he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla. And here's why they had come to Athens. Because Claudius, who by the way is a Roman emperor, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. You see what just happened to Aquila and Priscilla? They're living in a land that was not theirs, but they're living in Rome. And the emperor says, you have to go. And they didn't say no. They said, no. We got someone in the audience who just moved earlier this week. You could probably ask him, moving is not easy. In our day and time, moving is a billion times easier than it was for them. And the truth is this. If orders come that we don't agree with, Christians are to submit under this caveat. As long as what I'm being told to do does not go So if they tell me we can't worship anymore, guess 
what? They tell me you can't preach against certain things anymore. Guess what? We can't help but speak the things that we know and we believe. You have to say it. But we don't like economic policies, or we don't like immigration, or we don't like whatever we want to throw out there. As long as I'm not being told I have to do something that is against God's law, I have to respect that. I have to honor that. And the truth is, I might not even like it. But that is my responsibility. And if I refuse it, if I resist it, as Romans 13 verse 2 says, I will bring judgment upon myself. I will bring judgment. Because I'm not really disrespecting only the ruler of the I'm truly disrespecting that perfect head, that perfect
not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Did you notice what he just did there? He brought this big old complaint that Paul was bad not only for them. He's not just taking it out of your pocketbooks. He is ruining our God throughout all the world, throughout all our areas. He is bad for us. And you'll notice on my little screen there, it's getting a little more red, right? Because they're getting hotter and hotter. So notice the next verse, verse 28. When they heard this, those that were gathered together, they were enraged and they were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians or Diana of the Ephesians. We're going to stand up for our God. And they are shouting and they are crying and they are enraged at this point. But now it spreads. So verse 29, he started out with this group of craftsmen. And it is now spread in verse 29, so that the city was filled with confusion. I want you to think about that for a second. Would you say that we have a country right now that's kind of filled with confusion? We don't really know what's going to happen come January. What is going to happen with the new office? We don't know what's going to happen in the months leading up to that. We're, we're, like, what are we doing here, right? And we kind of understand that whole we're confused about things. But now you've got people shouting. And now everyone's like, well, why is everyone shouting? What's, what's the confusion here? That it's now impacting the entire city. So notice how it goes on to these people. So they filled the city with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, into the amphitheater, the place where they would all go. They rushed in there and they were dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So not only is everyone shouting, great is Diana or great is Artemis of the Ephesians, now they're all together running. Except now they're not just running, they've now got somebody. And they're dragging them into that. And they're again shouting, but notice how it carries on. Paul wanted to go in there, verse 30. And his friend said, uh, you're not going in there. So then skip down with me to verse 32. So in that theater, some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. That's what happens in protests and riots. Is that it starts out with some people, they have a complaint, and then the next thing you know in this group, one people, everyone's like, what was going on? And somebody's shouting this, and somebody's shouting this, and people shouting this, and next thing you know, you're grabbing somebody, or you're throwing something in a window. And you just you how did we get here? We didn't start out with this. We were just a little upset over what happened a couple days ago. 
That's my mentality. Is when we get wrapped up in things, it overcomes us, it overtakes us to the point where we're doing things we never would have dreamed of doing. I imagine the city that day, they didn't have any intention when they woke up to go into that amphitheater, yell for, as you would see in verse 34, for two hours. They didn't dream of doing that. They probably didn't dream of dragging people in there that day. But they did. And it all started with somebody had a complaint about someone else. So finally the crowd, go back to now verse 33. That some of the crowd, they prompted Alexander, whom the Jews have put forward. So and now another portion of the crowd, right? Again, we got one portion yelling this, another portion yelling this, and now we got another part of the crowd that is like, hey, let's hear somebody on this. Let's get the other side of the story. And so they put forward this Jew named Alexander. And Alexander motioned with his hand, as we try to do when we are in front of a group. Let me get your attention, please. He motioned with his hand, and he wanted to make an offense to the crowd, but they recognized that he was a Jew. You're opposite of us. You're one of them. And for two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of you. I don't know if you've ever shouted for two hours straight. The closest I have done has been at football games where you're not yelling straight, but you're yelling pretty close to straight. And guess what happens when that game gets into the third quarter or you go home. Because you've got nothing left. That's what that's how that's how like caught that's how passionate they were about you have talked about our God wrong. Finally, the crowd is quiet. And it was their town clerk, it was one of theirs who worked for the city, he quieted the crowd. One of their own finally got them to calm down. And he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone of Melvin the sky? Guys, you know this. Enough. And then he says, seeing verse 36, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet. And here it is, do nothing rash. Use your heads a little bit, guys. Think about this. Don't do anything rash for verse 37. For you've brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. And if therefore, here's the proper way, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are pro-councils. Let them bring the charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this. See what the proper way to handle their complaint was? The courts are open. If they had a problem with them, you go to 
to court. You take them to court and you take your case. You say, well, so what's the proper way here? You just had an opportunity on Tuesday. You walk in as long as you're 18 years old. They didn't even ask me for my ID, which I thought was a little baffling. You can go in and you can push that button. And in two years, you're going to get another chance to push that button again. You can go through the system. That's the proper way. I'm not a, I don't like it. I don't want this. So next time around, I do something about it through the proper channels. Yeah, we have freedom of speech in this country, don't we? We absolutely do. But I want to draw your attention back to the passage in First Peter chapter 2. Just to remind us to be careful. And I'm telling you, this is a hard thing to balance. I, I really don't even know how to do it. I'm just telling you what it says. I want you to see verse 16. He says, live as people who are free. But not using your freedom as a cover-up or a cloak for evil. But living as servants, or as Ed's translation said, slaves of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. When you've got a right to do something, that doesn't always mean you exercise it. We've learned in 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10 that sometimes you have a right to eat. Eat sacrificed idols. But if it is going to cause my brother to sin, I'm not going to do it, Paul says. I'd rather never eat meat again than to cause my brother to sin, the one for whom Christ died. And the point would be, we have to be smart. We have to be wise about what we do, knowing that there is this proper way to handle it. And then finally, the third reminder is that it comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2. And honestly, this was originally the text that I was going to teach from this morning on. But the more as the week went on, I began to just say, okay, I think I need to broaden it out a little bit more. Because as our theme this year has been, be holy as I am holy, the Lord says. And you'll notice in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that Paul says to Timothy, first of all then, I urge. Does it mean you urge? You encourage someone. This is what I want. I'm urging you to do this. And what does he want? He wants prayers and intercessions and supplications and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high position. What God wants of us is to pray for our leaders. For all of them. Whether we agree with them, whether we don't. And I want you to notice what the prayer is in verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions. Again, go to governors, go to senators, go to congressmen, go to mayors. Go to them all. Go to police, go to whoever you want to go to. All those who have this. You pray for them for what purpose? that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. Don't we want peace? Don't we want rest? Don't we want quiet? He says that's what you pray for. 
You pray that there will be quietness in your land. And that on top of that, you be able to live godly and dignified lives in every way. What we want is not only peace. What we want is not only money in our pockets. He says what you should want is that everything is calm and that you and I can live the way God would have us to live. And I don't know how many of us or how many times that is my number one priority in my prayers for leaders. And by the way, there are different Things mentioned here in prayer, these supplications where you're asking on behalf of someone. And prayers, you're just kind of talking about what is going on. You're getting that out there to God. These intercessions where you're going on behalf of these people, of these leaders. And these thanksgivings, the hardest of them all, finding some way to be thankful for what they've done. And the truth is, no matter how much we disagree with someone, we can always find something we agree on and we're thankful for. So sometimes that's just a lot of work to try to find. But he's telling us we've got to do these things. And when we do these things, when we make these prayers about our leaders so that we can live the way we ought, notice what he says in the next verse. Verse 3. This is good. If you were here Sunday night, you heard Michael talk about the beautiful shepherd. That's our word here. This is beautiful. When God sees that we live the way we ought and the world is the peace, it is beautiful to Him. It looks great. And on top of that, not only is it beautiful, it is pleasing, it is acceptable that that is the way it should be. Because what He desires of all people, verse 4, is He desires that all be saved. That's priority number one in God's view. God wants all people of all nations everywhere to be saved. He doesn't wish that any should perish. But again, that all should come to repentance. And if you live in a world where people can be godly and they don't have to face that persecution, they might be easier for them. That's what He wants. And He wants them all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. I have to ask myself as as a U.S. citizen, Is that what I care most about in my political prayers? Is that we all come to be saved. And that we all know who God is and come to obey Him. That's what the Lord is urging us and asking for us to do. Is that we live this way. So as we remember In this time of our people, we've got to remember that, man, the rulers, they deserve our submission and our honor because God gave it to them. And we said, I will submit to God, and therefore we will submit 
to our leaders. Now, when we have complaints and we have problems, there is a proper way to handle those. There are court systems set up in place. There are elections that are done. There are ways to handle that. And know that there are dangers of when you go and you get in group thinking, group mentality. And finally, man, we've got to be praying because they deserve it, because they need it. It's not an easy job. Those of you that are heads of your own house, maybe it's you and your wife, maybe it's you and your wife and one kid, or you and your wife up to seven, eight kids, right? It ain't easy to do. Imagine when you're trying to lead a nation of people who couldn't disagree more on different things. How difficult a job that is. And if the Christians aren't praying for them, who in the world is? we got to think about it in that way. Don't get so rapid. Let's not get so politically minded. Let's enjoy it. Let's be a part of the process. But let's again remember our citizenship is in heaven from which we await a Savior who will transform this lowly body into a glorious body. If you're subject in any way this morning's invitation, won't you come now and stand?